it radiated the fact that I see you, you're not a threat, I'm just doing my thing. But I was a little bit spellbound. I think spellbound isn't the word. That's the first question. Did you take a photo? And so it immediately puts you on the defensive because when you say no, you say well, it didn't happen. You're on the back foot of what's your little story. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Welcome to episode 77 of Big Cat Conversations. We're coming to you in the second half of June 2022. In this episode, we will hear from two different guests, each of whom experience what we might call a confrontation involving a large cat in the wild in Britain. So these were situations where a cat was perhaps too close for comfort, and we'll discuss what the witness thought about the behaviour of the cat and how it influences their view on the subject now. Our first guest is Martin, and he's based near to Doncaster in South Yorkshire. He's going to brief us on an incident that happened just three weeks ago as we record this. And some of you may have read about the case because it was covered by the local Doncaster and Yorkshire newspapers, and then the story spread to some of the national papers. Martin, it's very good of you to come on the show so soon after this event, so hello and welcome. Hello, Rick. Thanks for the invite. Great, Martin. Thanks for coming on. Before this incident, were you aware of the potential of big cats in the wild in Britain? Had you heard anything about it? It's not been a thing that's occupied much of his thoughts in the last 20 years or so. But I've always been aware that there have been sightings. Funnily enough, I was talking to someone the other day and said, I've only seen a badger last year. and I'm 50 years old, but I know they've existed for 50 years. So I've already seen one in my life, you know. I think if an animal of that nature don't want to be seen, then it won't. Yeah, yeah, of course, people see badgers dead on the road, unfortunately, but people can live right round the corner from badgers snuffling around every night near their house, but they might never see one. Or hardly, very rarely see one. Okay, well, we may as well get straight into the incident because I think there's a fair few things to discuss. So take us through what happened. You were out cycling with your son and it all kicked off. I go out very regularly, just cycling around local woods with my youngest son, who's 11, and decided to go to Black Car Plantation, which is between uh, Branton and, and Cantley. Probably around about half seven at night, just cycling down the main track because there's a very good rope swinging in that wood that my son always likes to go to. So we're making our way there. So we rounded a corner. We were probably about 20 yards in front. As I rounded the corner, I seen from the left on a diagonal angle. My first thought initially is uh, there was a black dog running towards Harry. Quite a fast pace. My first thought that, that came into bed was it's a, it's a dog sort of making a beeline for my son. And I was waiting for the um, for owners to appear or to shout it back or whistle or call it. It sort of disappeared behind some brambles and ferns. So I thought, well, I can't see it now. So is it, is it going to be a menacing dog? Because it looked quite big. Then as I rode towards my son, I couldn't, I couldn't see anymore. Bearing in mind, I probably seen for about three or four seconds. And I thought, that didn't look at all like a dog. It moved differently. It looked quite silent. The shape wasn't a dog. Them thoughts only caught up on our ride. I thought that this weren't a dog. And then when I looked around, there was just absolutely nobody there, no dog owners, nobody in sight. So I sped up a bit. I was alarmed. I thought, because my initial first thoughts were quite a large dog, initially in its own right, would have been enough to 
get me racing towards my son. When I got there, it weren't there. It weren't there. So my son had, had no idea that this had happened. And he went to the to the swim as normal. I didn't say anything to him then. The reaction were, oh, I need to see where, where this cat is, because by that time, I knew it went a dog. Was my thought process caught up? I went back to the place where I'd seen it disappear. It were brambles and ferns, but I didn't, I didn't start rummaging around in it because I'm thinking, well, it's got to be in there. Whether it got along because it saw two people, whether it, it was just curious, I'm not sure. But I had a brief look just to see it's in there somewhere. It can't be anywhere else. But then I just sort of hovered my son along. I had a quick go on swimming, just sort of med our way out of area. And then when we got out of woods, I just told him, I told him what had happened. He weren't aware of anything because I didn't want to alarm him. But there was nobody else there in the woods. That's sort of the gist of the encounter. And it weren't it weren't anything where I felt really scared or frightened or anything. It was just they just sort of processed the information after and realizing exactly what it were. Reflecting on it. Yeah, exactly what I'd seen. That's sort of the initial encounter as it were. When I got in, I told my wife that I thought I'm you know, what do I do with this information? I thought, well, first of all, I'm just going to do a bit of research. When I was younger, I had a bit, a bit of interest in things like this. But as you get older, you just don't. So I'm really, really surprised when I, when I did look into it that the area where, it, where I'd seen the cats is, is quite a hot spot in, in Doncaster. And I'm quite surprised that the, the last site of that video footage in 2021, I think it was, it was on the Doncaster FIFA's website. We're probably about half a mile from where I've seen the cat. Is that the video of one in a sort of far corner of a field? Yeah, yeah. That's literally uh, half a mile away from the woods I were in, which I thought, well, this is a pattern. It's only last year. And then I looked and then it seemed along all that side of Doncaster, five miles further up, on the east side of the M18, there were another site, and then the one where someone's seen one at A1 M18 junction. I think, hang on a minute, this is not just me then. That's what prompted me to get in touch with the person who wrote the article. I think it's in the interest of public safety, uh, first and foremost. So I got in touch and just said, look, I've seen a, a black cat, basically, a big black cat in woods. Would you be interested in, in hearing more? And he said, yeah. And then, then that's where I initially sent an email of a short account to Doncaster Free Press, which got sort of... Uh, Tops and tails, should we say. <laughs> well, we'll come on to that, how it played out in the media in a minute. And incidentally, that video that you mentioned, we'll put a link to that on the website for this episode so people can see it. Yeah, and if I didn't find anything, I simply wouldn't have reported anything. I think it's because of the mother side that there was something, something happening around here. I've never heard of any sort of out-and-out attacks, but... You know, I think it's an interest of public safety, maybe just to, to mention. Can we talk about the behaviour of what you saw? And I think that the point about the fact that this animal went to ground, I mean, that's so much more cat-like than dog-like, to think of a, a dog just going to ground and being completely undetectable. Yeah. So I think that is a very reasonable conclusion that you came to. It wasn't the shape of a dog. And because it was running as well, so the gait of a cat running... Everything about it, I didn't get to see face, eyes, anything like that. It just it weren't that type of sighting. It was it running, running at an angle. But everything about how it ran, the stride, just straight away, were, 
characteristics of a big cat. And I think the point you mentioned about how dogs behave, how many dogs could get walked in their muds that they simply wouldn't disappear without a trace, without any owners. That were quite a big point for me as well. But there's, there's a little bit to add to that. I went back a few days later because there were a local big cat investigator who's been investigating these sightings for a number of years. He got in touch and he said, look, I'm, I'm having a look around. I said, well, I'm going to go back on Sunday afternoon. I think this happened on a, on a Wednesday. So I'll, I'll just show you where it was. If, if you're interested in what you're going to look for, you know, I mean, I've got no idea what you're going to investigate or what you're going to be looking for. I met up with him, just showed him what happened. You know, I had a walk around with him. I just let, left him to it. Then, as I was talking to him, we pointed out the type of things he was looking for. So as, as I was walking around the woods with his son, I just started look, looking around. We found a scrape and a distinct print. So I went and found him. I took photos as well. I seemed pretty convinced that it was a big cat print. And I found others on a dusty track which looked like big cat prints. I don't mind telling uh, people who are really interested in investigating. I weren't certainly going to go back to papers and mention anything like that. He thought it looked pretty genuine and around the same size. And that was only about 100 yards away from the incident. Oddly enough as well, on the Saturday night, another person was on my feed, connected to one of my cousins actually, said um, they'd seen it at 9 o'clock Saturday night in the same place and alerted police. I didn't respond to that or anything. Far be it from me to say what's credible and what's not, because I'm, I'm in that same boat. I? I've, seen, I've seen something which a lot of people will um, find interesting, but a lot of people will totally disbelieve. Someone else said they've seen it and alerted the police on the Saturday. So They didn't know about your encounter when they did that. Is that correct? I'm not sure if they did or they didn't, because it appeared on the Doncaster Free Press feed. I didn't follow that up. The only comments I'd seen are people who were on Facebook, because Obviously, there'd be a lot of not very nice things said on social media. Yeah, you're inviting hassle, aren't you, often on these things? That, that's the difficulty. Very interesting that you followed it up with somebody who had an interest and, and who was motivated to check it out and maybe monitor the location once in a while. As well as the print, you saw what was possibly a uh, scent marking scrape pile, did you? Yeah, he said it was definitely a scrape. That sort of added more credence to what I've seen as well because like I say I mean you know all you're explaining is fully what you've seen but when people start saying things the self-doubt comes in a real interesting point around all this that in the late 70s and 80s in a local village there were there were pub and quite a few of my mates used to talk about it all the time back in back in the 80s and he had about 10 big cats in a cage all, all in separate cages panthers pumas which is well known for having them and then they just went. That village is dead in the area. Thorn near Doncaster is a big area for sightings. This village is about five miles from Thorn. Yeah, that's a big area of wetlands and there's peat cuttings there, isn't there? It's a big sort of open marsh. There'll be water birds and uh, presumably deer and rabbits. And... Yeah, there's, a, there's lots and lots of deer around there. It's, it's very, I mean, they call it the Isle of Axon, but it's very fen-like. It's, it's flat as a flat as a banker. There's Hatfield Moors. There's all sorts of wildlife and vast open sort of areas. I know that that's an absolute fact that this pub owner had a variety of big cats that suddenly weren't there anymore. Unaccounted for. Yeah, back in the eighties. I thought that was quite interesting as, as well to follow up. Yeah, yeah. 
And in terms of the behaviour now, when we're talking about a confrontation and we're talking about one of these cats potentially following people, the sorts of behaviour would be things like curiosity, uh, ushering the person away, like seeing you off the property because it's got a kill or it's got, you know, cubs or just doesn't want you in its zone for some reason, or assessing the chances of a successful attack. If you read the literature, those are the options, really. Yeah, And the curiosity one, unfortunately, can lead to assessing the chances of a successful attack. It can start off, you know, yeah. with a sort of benign and no intent of attacking. But if they get more and more curious or if, if you came along again, I don't want to get alarmist about it. But of those options, is it difficult to tell what the intent of it was? I think look at them options. I think you can only sort of say my initial reaction was to get to me some quickly. I was as a large black animal making its way, way towards. A, a bit like when you've, you see this quite an aggressive dog and they're coming running towards you. I, I initially felt like that. So, so, so I thought the intent was, I can only say it's probably the third option. And then it probably aborted what it were doing when, when it seen me. It, that's just speculating, but that, that's what seemed to happen. But when I came into view and, and saw it, it disappeared into them brambles and ferns laid low so i think i think that assessing an opportunity maybe i didn't want to go down on the lines of you know cause obviously you've got the headlines of petrified dad and basically well no <laughs> nothing like that but i do think the intent were there to, to do whatever you're making a beeline and just to rule out one other factor this wasn't coincidence it wasn't coincidentally trotting across the woodland and your son converged across its path no, no, it looked like it came from cover to chase my son. Then, I don't know, maybe weighed up the odds when it saw a bigger human and aborted. It definitely had the intent of coming out from undergrowth. Its focus was on chasing my son on bike. That's without a doubt. That Yeah, it went like he suddenly surprised it, then it, it, it sprang round. It looked a calculated attempt to get to him, really. One thing to bear in mind is that most often, not always, but most often when they do strike their prey, it is with explosive power and explosive speed and it's from behind usually and the target is completely unaware. I know you, you said your son was unaware, but which is interesting. So it wasn't in yeah. his eyeline at all, but it's quick and, and rushed. My only other sort of thought is, did it sense your son on his bike as like a deer because this happens sometimes with mountain lions and, and cyclists on cycle trails and jogging trails in the western states of america you know cyclists find a puma mountain lion up close and they think yeah. it's probably read me as a deer because i'm crouched i'm not a sort of upright bipedal human so i'm in a different yeah. form and it's more like a, what it, the cat's used to as a deer so it's not like it's targeting a human deliberately it's you're in a different form, you're crouched and you're moving like a deer. It's only seeing the top half. So I'm not making excuses. I'm just trying to rationalise the um, the situation. That, that that might have been, you know, a factor. Yeah, it could because it wasn't ambling, that's for certain. It had intent, it was running pretty fast. Now, whether it were, whether it were full-blown, I don't know, but it were, it were pretty quick. If you imagine a diagonal from the bottom right, some of them had no idea what was happening. And it were quite significant that he went round the corner first, so I was outside. And when I went round the corner and saw it, saw it going firm, that's maybe when it perhaps thought twice. Your son definitely would have had no idea 
you know, if it would have carried out an attack. He just didn't see it. He wouldn't have known anything if I didn't tell him. Your vantage is very interesting. I think you, you may have a point in, in saying that you complicated the situation for it and disturbed it, maybe. Yeah, we'll never know, but we, you know, we, there's no harm in chatting it through. Yeah. Reflecting on it, obviously you were, you were concerned at the time and you've justified that and um, going to the press and everything. Have you checked Black Leopards? Have you, I don't want to put you know, thoughts or words in your mouth, but have you looked at the candidates for this? And I know we use the word panther as well. A panther is a leopard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that right? Yeah. To be fair, I've had a really big interest in, in, in animals and predators all my life. I know the sizes. I know quite a lot about big cats in my own way. I think that's why when you talk about emotion, first of all, there's a bit of alarm. Well, there's something coming after this, isn't it? Uh, that was the first emotion. But then, then after that, it's odd. I, I didn't feel um, as if as if I was scared to go back there. I mean, we've been back there since. I just got the impression that it, it was something that has lived quietly amongst us for decades in my mind. Obviously, they're probably breeding. So I, I, I didn't feel in any way threatened. And I also think, that because it were likely to be, I, I think the sizing, you know, I mean, obviously the, in the press you had the Black Panther and the obligatory picture there, but it looked about that size. It looked around a, a leopard size. Yeah, odd, really. Even my son, is, he, he didn't seem phased whatsoever about it. We go back to them woods. I don't feel like it were a big enough threat, although obviously telling the story, it sounds like it really could. I don't know, I just got the impression that they really stay away from humans and occasionally they'll you'll see them because I think that the fact that, you know, England is quite a built-up area, but the fact that they can hide and I don't feel threatened by any, any stretch at all going back into, into the woods. I suppose it's, it's in my mind now. It's in my mind to, to be on a lookout, of course it is, but it wouldn't stop me uh, being outdoors because I'm, I'm, I'm always outdoors. Do you feel that incident, and maybe if the cat made an you know, error of judgment and misread your son as a deer or something, that's still potentially an issue because it could happen again sort of thing. And, and again, I don't want to put emotions and thoughts in your mind, but do you feel it could justify an information sign, as difficult as information signs are, because they can have unintended consequences? Initially, you felt it was worth reporting to the media for public awareness. Say you were the landowner of those woods, would you feel you had a responsibility to put a sign up? Yeah, I think if I owned them, then would because if, if you're an owner, then, then, then there's liability in there. I think I would. Because all you're doing is, is relaying the information that people have seen o- over the years. Yes. You're not saying definitively there is a, a black leopard that's got a territory mark to you. Yeah. You're just saying people are, are claiming they're seeing big cats. You know, you, you may like to be aware of this. So, yeah. It is a very delicate, tricky subject, do you think? Yeah, I do, because I don't really know why it should be, because it's something that's very feasible. You know, there were a lot of these kept as pets around the country in the 70s and 80s. The option of handing them over to authorities would be likely to be destroyed. So set them off into the wild, you know, rightly or wrongly. People feel that when you mention the term the word leopard, you know, oh, that's a killing machine, it's immediately dangerous, and in, in abstract... It can conjure up concerns amongst people, whereas in reality they're stealthy and hide away yeah. if you look into it. But not everybody looks into it, of course. And so the signage is tricky, isn't it, to get right, I think? It is, yeah, because if you imagine as well, we live in a very sort of safe country, uh, animal-wise and weather-wise. You know, wolves and bears have gone, gone from our shores. Uh, 
centuries ago. So we were lucky in a way that you can get to walk in, in, in the wilds are relatively unscathed. But you imagine that's in America, you've got, you've got bears and pumas, or that, that must be going through your mind all the time. I think it's quite an odd notion to think of walking in this country and suddenly feeling you might be being stalked. There's a threat there. I, I think that's, I think some of that's quite hard for, for people to sort of accept. So they'll just dismiss it as you, you're talking nonsense or you're just making it up. I had a lady at a talk once say to me, I had changed her perception of the outdoors. She didn't like it, you know. She she, she liked mm. the fact that, that Britain was a safe, comfortable, ordinary countryside. And she didn't, I mean, whereas other people actually say, I enjoy that sense of alertness, that, that sense of being on edge. It's different with different people, isn't it? It is. That's, that's human society all along. They don't want to see that as a threat there because they've been used to not having a threat all, all, all their lives. So I can understand that. They'll just dismiss it. Like, talking nonsense. So they don't have to uh, interpret in their own minds that there's, there's actually a danger because some people live their life by fear. That's the thing. I, I don't live my life by fear. So if I were a different person, I may be really fearful of ever stepping in the woods again, but I'm not at all. As like I say, I, I, I've seen what I've seen. I've reported it because I think it's a, a, a real public interest. Would that sign invoke massive fear in people? Yeah, the other thing is we don't want to put off people having healthy recreational exercise for their body and soul. I know. I, I think that, that will be a lot of people. Because a lot of people are bound by authority, aren't they, as well? So if a credible witness such as myself says I saw something, are uh, you talking nonsense? It's the, you know, uh, but a sign goes up by the authorities, all of a sudden we must be real. In society, there's always that thing where people will be... Or follow blindly whatever the authorities say what's happening, which is always open to interpretation and, and, and nudging one way or the other. So that's the danger in the science that, that some people are... What they'll complain about is not the fact that there could be a really sort of interesting predator in our country. That's top of food chain. They'll be more be concerned about... Um, well, I can't wait once now, because, because this sign represents fear to me, whereas... If that sign weren't there, the danger, the perceived danger, is the same regardless. And it, it, it sort of frustrates me a little bit because but that sign all of a sudden makes everything official and, and people all say, well, I can't go in there anymore because there's a sign up saying I may run into a, a Black Panther or, 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 or whatever. Uh, whereas there's just as much likelihood, one way or another, if that sign's there or not. So I, I don't know what effect that would have uh, because I think, I, think, I think most people find it fearful. Can we go on to the media? I know you mentioned a bit about the media reaction, but can we have your further reflections on how it was reported initially in the local paper and then how it got tweaked a bit, maybe in alarmist headlines, as it cascaded onto the national tabloids? Was was that more or less what happened? The, the sort of higher it got up the, the media food chain, the more fanciful it got. I've experienced little things in media before. I understand that they've got a job to do, they've got headlines to make, but I just wanted to report this as a, as a real matter of fact. To be fair to free press, my words are in the middle bit, sort of word for word, which is good. This is the local Doncaster newspaper where it started, yeah. Yeah, but then even when I saw that headline, I thought, well, you know, I, I told him that my son weren't, didn't even see it, so he can't, he can't be fearful, he can't be, he can't, in his mind, he can't be shook up and all that sort of thing. So I thought, oh, I didn't really say that. I wanted to do it in good faith. And then from that report on the Saturday, I got a few messages like one of my friends sort of defending me. Then, then that's when I looked on Facebook. I got a little bit dejected because I just read a couple of comments about 
oh, it's a classic sign of a dad making up stories to impress his son. You think, <laughs> and, and, and you, you read a couple of things about that. I only got on there because I want to. I'm interested to know what my friend had put on. I, obviously, free press had gone and put it on social media. But after that, I, I just didn't look whatsoever. I weren't interested. I suppose what I would have been, what you're going to do, you're going to spend your day there trying to defend your honour. You're never going to meet these people. Why, why should you care? Getting into any sort of debate on social media is probably one of the most negative aspects of modern life. What good does it do? I went through my phone a few days later. I've just seen a picture of Black Panther. And it's a petrified dad. You know, and I think, oh, God, that's me in it. Yeah, you've become clickbait. Your story had become clickbait. I'm quite introverted, so just to just to see yourself being blown up a bit, I just found it a little bit embarrassing. Embarrassing is the word. I think it's like a lot of witnesses, to be honest. They report things in good faith or they're invited to speak to the media and they're happy to do so, but they they don't realise how it can cascade and how it can then get a bit over the top in the mm. when it goes into the nationals because it's always... I think the national press really don't care whether, what people believe. It's just an interesting headline and they, yeah. they can't lose and it's a bit of um, feed for their attention to their paper and... It is. They're not, they're not interested in any, in any credible sort of investigation on it for. Presumably it's rekindled your interest in the subject. Might it influence your son to take an interest? I've heard this from other people, that their children or grandchildren start looking up about big cats and, and find actually what a fascinating subject it is and gives them a link to learning a bit about nature, which has got to be good. Yeah, well, it's funny you should say that. Yeah, my son's actually started... Uh... I don't want to say I'm an author, but I've had a few books published on certain subjects, um, fishing being one and uh, Hungarian uprising being another. So, okay. so I've got I've got an interest in, in writing, but he wanted to write down his story of it, and it, it, he's done like dates. So he's, he's keeping a little bit of a journal. So I want to go back so I can, even if we don't see anything, obviously we're very, very unlikely to see anything. He, he likes the idea of uh, going out there and, He's making a story around it in his own mind, just for his own, his own interest. But it's accounting what's happened on a word document. He loves animals anyway. Well, we're going to go back to the Black Car Plantation yesterday, but I, I unfortunately got a puncher so we couldn't go. But he's often going out in the same areas. And, you know, it, it's piqued his interest in, in looking out for it. And, I mean, when I'm that once now, I'm looking for tracks a lot, you know, and identifying that's obviously a dog. And, I mean, I've always had an interest in that type of stuff anyway, but... And this has pushed it really to the forefront. So I'll be keeping an eye out for stuff as well. Yeah, it makes a walk in the woods a lot more interesting, doesn't it? Especially for a young person, because they've got a hook to something. They've got a link to make something really real and fascinating. Yeah, it is. And we'll, we'll be doing that for quite a bit, especially on our walks. There will be an emphasis on, on really keeping our eyes out. Just going back to that safety aspect. But I do keep a little bit closer to my son on our walks and rides as well, just... Suppose it isn't back of your mouth. It's not a fearful thing. It's just being more alert. Yeah. So you you guys have embraced it positively rather than uh, retreating from it, which is I think is a very interesting lesson from the whole experience. Yeah, I'd love to see it again. But I don't feel any any danger or fear. I know there could be. Yeah, Martin, say that this led to some wider debate and there was a view that oh we can't have that cat doing that sort of thing it must be removed we must track it down and remove it what would your view be on that um no why would you want to that's the beauty of what it is at the minute they are there in my view 
I think all the signs are going to do is going to create fear. And once you create fear, what you what are you going to do with that fear? I want to be saved from it. I want to eradicate it. Let's go and try and hunt something down. In my opinion, that they've lived in, in perfect harmony with whatever they're eating, you know, small deer, rabbits, for decades. So you just accept it as part of our ecosystem. And I think if there's people that will think we're talking nonsense, that helps protect it even more for me. As soon as people have a slight fear or, you know, oh, something growled at me, right, I'm going to kill it. That's what I get in this country because, you know, I mean, I know they're, they're reintroducing otters and, and beavers and stuff like that, but they'll, they'll never reintroduce wolves and bears, not in the month of Sunday. I think that's the thing you've got to be careful. You can put signs up with good intention, but the authorities, please save us from this, uh, uh, this panther menace. If I want to be deemed a, a fanciful dreamer for apparently lying to me son, then that's fine by me. You know, as long as the, the cats continue, they've done no harm to anybody so far that's not to say they won't you get these headlines in, in national papers you know petrified dad and, and stalking and, and stuff like that if they get more and more and more i think you will sort of get people trying to hunt them down i think for the minute the fact that it's seemed a little bit nudging into the uh, paranormal type category even though <laughs> the real life animals that may be a good thing for the preservation and, and the cats that are around that sort of tantalising sense of is it real or isn't it is it keeping it on that cusp so that there's no sort of overreaction I think that's the best positive outcome for the cats that are out there when you're looking into more and all, all around the country it's undoubtable that these cats are there for most people it's a, it's a nice story to read about of course there's, a, there's a, a notion that these animals are there given that there are quite a lot of them around as pets in the 70s but then most people are just see it as a, a little bit of fun it's so interesting and heartening to hear your view on this. Obviously, I think people realise that a few statements in the, in the media are always very clipped and, and shortened, and to have your further thoughts has been very insightful. And Say you get talking on the topic with, I don't know, in the margins of your business meetings or when you're walking in the woods or whatever, and people want to strike up a conversation about it. Are you happy to talk openly about it or do you feel it's got potential baggage and implications? Are you wary about how you communicate it even in conversation? I run a web and design business and, and I've half been expecting someone to make some sort of jokey comment, but nobody has it at the moment. So I think if anyone did, if I gave you to just make a jokey comment, I'd probably say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to report uh, a sea monster in Hatfield Marina next. I just make a joke, but if someone were really sort of interested in subject, then I'd, I'd talk to them about it. it top and bottom, all I'm doing is telling people what I saw. Yeah, sure. I think also what is apparent perhaps to people like you now is that if we want to try and make sense of this subject and learn a bit, we have got to talk in depth to witnesses and, and hear what they say and what their view is on the behaviour that they have observed. And you know, there's nothing much else we can do if we want to learn about it. So, you know, you are part of that learning for all of us. And thanks for coming on the podcast, doing your bit, as it were. Thanks for inviting me, Rick. I've, uh, I've enjoyed it. enjoyed talking about it. Great. Well, Martin, thanks ever so much for your time and for coming on the podcast. And I hope we can keep in touch.
For our next guest, we welcome John, who is based in Surrey, just a bit south of London, in south-east England. John's going to tell us about two separate incidents that occurred in the past two to three years, and these were in an area of heathy common land in Surrey. It's an area with heather and gorse and scrub merging into woods and forest, and it's south-east England, so suburban development and roads and infrastructure are never far away in all directions. And for this recording, John has actually walked to the very spot of these encounters, which is very good of him, so we can pick up the vibes of the area as he speaks and looks around. So, John, welcome, and I hope it's cooling down a bit there now, because we're speaking on a hot, balmy June evening. So thanks for coming on, John, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. In a minute, John, we'll um, tell you to describe the scene. But before we get on to that, tell us about whether you knew about Big Cat sightings before you had these incidents. And if you did know about Big Cat sightings in the past, did you have any kind of view on them? Yeah, I think um, I first heard about it a good six, seven years ago. Didn't do a lot of research, but I knew about the dangerous and exotic animals act 1976 i think so i knew that some cats had possibly been released into the wild then so i was very open to the idea that they would be spotted and because they're spotted so many times i i did sort of think they were in england but i didn't think i'd see one myself that's for sure okay well before you tell us about the incidents themselves just describe the scene where you are You're in a bit of the heathland and woodland environment where these incidents occurred, and this is sort of mid-west Surrey, I think, isn't it? But if you can describe the actual habitat you're standing in at the moment. Well, I don't mind saying where it is, actually. Um, It's Ashstead Common. Okay. It's Ashstead and Epsom Common, but I won't say exact location for obvious reasons. It's really overgrown now, actually. About four years ago, they coppiced this area and cleared a bit of it, but not thoroughly cleared. And there was one main path through this section. And I noticed tonight coming here, because I've, I've moved from the immediate area now, that the path, that main path, doesn't seem to be used that much. And the woodcutter's paths that I had previously used to get here are very overgrown. And in fact, I had to get a, a willow stick and beat the bracken down and the brambles and the nettles, and no one would come here now. Even the woodcutter's path is is definitely overgrown. Obviously, it's the summer. There is a lot of bracken. But even in the winter, when all the bracken dies down, I don't think there'll be very well-defined paths now around this area. It's an ancient woodland. And obviously, yeah, there's lots of bracken at the moment. The sighting was in winter. It was December 2020. I think it was during lockdown. And I'd just come and read a book in the woods. Very socially distanced. (laughs) (laughs) And my hours exercise, whatever you were allowed to. This was walking distance from where you were living at the time? Yeah, not too far, not too far. I didn't come to this spot too often. It was a nice, quiet spot to read a book because there's a fallen tree here. The tree's about a foot wide, so you can go under and over it. There's not a barrier as such. That moved significant later. Obviously, because it was winter, the bracken had died down and it was a lot more open. And like I say, that was... Well, that's two and a half years ago. So it's really, the brambles have come back now with a vengeance and it's uh, certainly overgrown now. You'll take a photo of the immediate scene for us, John, if that's okay, and we'll put that on the website. Okay, yeah, sure. Splendid. Okay, so take us through the first incident. It was late afternoon, so it would be getting dark, what, 
half four, four o'clock that time of year, mid-December. And it was a really good book. And I literally read until it was too dark to read. Uh, but I decided to listen to, see if I could listen to some owls because it's a good spot. And I had a coffee. But when I got the coffee out of the bag, it was getting so dark that I had a torch and I put it in my side coat pocket. Didn't hear any owls. I think one in a very far distance. And I'd been here a couple of minutes just drinking the coffee and then thinking of heading off. And then I heard a noise behind me. And I didn't think much of it at the time. I just thought well, it might be a squirrel or blackbird. But then even then, it was getting too dark for them to be active. Didn't think much of it. And then I heard a sound again, and it was much heavier. So that got my curiosity. I just sort of moved round. And then that's why I saw a cat. It was coming from behind a tree. Now, I've come and I've measured the distances. My tape measure only went up to five metres. So I estimate the tree from where I'm sitting on the tree trunk to be about seven metres away. And it was coming from behind the tree. Then I, I stood up. What got me? I mean, my first reaction was I actually thought to myself, you know, I swore, my God, they exist. You know, you could see the outline of the tufts on its ears. Even though, I must emphasize, it was dusk, it was getting dark, but my eyes were adjusted. And as it was seven meters away, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see its eyes, I must admit. I could see the shape of its head and its body, and I, but I could see the ear tufts on it. And I just thought, wow, a lynx. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very distinct, yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, it was a fair size as, as well. And, but it happened really quick. I was just in an amazement. Really, that was my main emotion. But then it started coming towards me. So I just thought to myself, keep calm. And then I was quickly deciding whether to scream or not. And that, would that make it worse? And I could see its chest. And it had a white or lighter color chest and possibly underbelly. But when anyway, it was coming towards me, it was sort of crouch walking towards me. And then, but it was still coming, coming towards me. It just happened so quick, you know, just literally a couple of seconds. But thankfully, I had my hand in my pocket where the torch was. And I think even having my hand out the pocket might have made a difference, you know, that, to get my hand in my coat pocket. Because I've just measured a distance, how far away it was from me. And I estimate it to be three and a half meters, three meters it got that close to me. I was standing behind the tree, but even so, it could easily jump over or go under. But yeah, like I say, it was still coming towards me. So I just got a torch out and just flashed it, and that did scare it. And then it ran. I think it went under a, a holly bush I can see, which is another five metres away, and just didn't move. It just went under the holly bush. When it went under the holly bush, that's when the fear kicked in. You know, one of my adrenaline was running, my heartbeat started going, and I thought I could be in trouble here, you know, because it wasn't running away. I quickly put my coffee cup in my bag, and I had turned the torch off, but then I, I think I, I definitely put it back on just to make sure it wouldn't come over, um, and also listening out for it moving as well. There is a footpath that goes behind me where I saw it, but it is an old woodcutter's path, and I just thought that was too long. So I went the shortest distance of another old 
footpath that's never used. And that wasn't too far from the holly bush, but I just thought that's the quickest way to the bridleway because the bridleway, the nearest bridleway is about 80, 90 yards away. So um, obviously I just wanted to get out. So you're quite tucked away in the whole location. Yeah, yeah. It's a good reading spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We can uh, talk about the behaviour and your assessment of its behaviour in a minute. Can we just have your judgment on the scale of it? Yeah, because it was originally behind a tree seven metres away and it was getting dusky. I think the head height was my waist height and I'm 5'10". The colour, which threw me at the time, a dark red-orange sort of colour. And I never thought a lynx were that colour. And I thought they were grey. And that's what did throw me. On the way home when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, was it a hybrid or something? Chesington Zoo is two miles away. At the time, I thought, did it escape from Chesington? You know, I saw us going over a few things. And I was wondering whether to call the police. But then I thought, I don't, you know. I know they used to have lions at Chesington, but I haven't heard them for years. Yeah, they do vary, Lynx. And, and the patterning on the coat can vary as well. Right. I knew it wasn't a deer because its legs was, I mean, I could see the fur rather than um, hair like a deer. You know, I could see it was furry and it was quite a stocky chest, you know, thick legs. So I knew it wasn't a badger, fox, deer, you know, nothing like that. And it was approaching me. No animal in the, that I know of, possibly a cat, would approach you like that in the countryside. They would, deer always run away. When I was hacking through the bracken and the brambles getting here, I did disturb a few deer. There are a lot of deer in this, especially in this section, because the public don't walk in this section. And I don't think you get a lot of dogs. I actually was walking here, I think it was last summer, actually, and I was on the phone to a friend, and I heard a woman calling her dogs. And I was walking down a bridleway, and a herd of deer came hurtling out of this section literally about eight or nine in front of me and behind me at speed and I just stood there and then two collie dogs were sheep dogs were coming running after them that was quite an experience in itself because I was talking to a friend who lives in London and he said yeah you're right and I said I've just had a herd of deer run in front of me and behind me and I said to my friend that doesn't happen very often that's never happened before you know and he just carried on talking as if that happens all the time in the countryside which was quite amusing at the time so there are, there are a lot of deer in, in this common anyway, but certainly in this part of the common. And I scared a few tonight trying to bash through the, the bracken and the brambles to get here. May be the reason it was there in the first place. It might be a very good place for a lynx to hang out in Surrey. Yeah, possibly, possibly. I mean, it's very open here. There's another wood across the road. There's even less public that go walking there. And then there's some private land owned by Prince Charles, actually. There's no public allowed on there. So, And that's about 100, 150 acres. So there's plenty of area around here where a cat would even bump into people. When it went into cover but didn't move, what do you think it was doing? Was it looking at you and watching you? And do you think it stayed there as you departed? It did. It, I'm absolutely certain it did stay there because I kept stopping now and again to see if I can hear it approaching me and because it was winter there's a lot of dry leaves around and the bracken that has died down so I, I, I would have thought I would have heard it but then I would flash my torch just in case it was but I didn't sort of run or anything like that I, I try to calmly leave 
but yeah, I wanted to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, well, let, let's um, talk about your assessment of its behaviour, because it was uncharacteristically bold. So you were crouched down initially, but then you stood up. So what do you make of what it was doing and, and what its behaviour was? I don't know. I was sitting on the tree trunk. It's fairly high-ish. And then I stood up. I think it would have known I was human. It would have seen my, my shape. I'm sure it would have known I was a human and not a deer or any other animal. Because obviously it can see better than me and smell better than me. Um, I don't know. It was, a, it was weird. It just happened so quickly. Maybe it was curious. Because like I say, it got to where three and a half metres. Did you get any sense that it was looking at stalking or attack mode at all? Or was it just too dark to tell? It was dusky, but it was coming towards me and it was sort of crouching as it was walking sort of thing. So I admit I couldn't pick out its eyes and it was dusky, but I could definitely see its outline. If I didn't have my hand in my pocket on that torch, it would have taken me a good another second to put my hand in my pocket to get the torch. And, you know, it was, like I say, only three, three and a half metres away from me. It shook you up. Oh, <laughs> like I say, at the time it happened, it was so quick. When I shined the torch and it went under that holly bush, that is when I got scared, yeah. It happened so quick that I, almost my emotion wasn't fear. It was just keep calm. You don't think it had anything around there? It was trying to protect and it was trying to sort of usher you away. It didn't have a, a dead carcass of something or you didn't smell anything? Well, no, I was, I was thinking that, but I had been reading a, a, a while, actually, maybe an hour. So I had been here and I didn't, definitely didn't smell any you know, dead deer or anything. But maybe its den is around here. Do, I mean, would it have a den at that time of year in December? Yeah, they have layup spots and, and favoured ones that are going to be warmer and you know more tucked up than others that they would favour on their routes round. There are a few trees that have been cut down and left to rot, you know, big trees. Nice canopies to go under. Yeah, they like fallen and cut trees to go under. Yeah, there's, there's enough of those around, definitely. You don't know what it had been doing before it got to that seven metres away. You only knew about it when it was seven metres away. It might have been around for a bit longer or you don't know what it did before. Yeah, it came from behind a tree. So maybe it was sitting there for a while behind the tree. Obviously, I don't know. You had another sighting nearby. So can we hear about that now, please? Yeah, sure. That sight was only half a mile away from this location. Not far at all. And this was March this year, 2022. I was walking back from a mate's around 10 o'clock at night. And I was walking down uh, a long straight road that borders the common. Ironically enough, it's called Lynx Road. Oh, good grief. <laughs> L-I-N-K, because uh, there used to be a golf course there about 100 years ago. It's a long straight road. And I was just walking. It's nearly a mile long and it's a dead end. So you don't get a huge amount of traffic, especially at that time of night. So it is quite quiet, the odd dog walker. And I was walking down the middle of the road. I got a much better look then because it ran literally 20 yards in front of me. It came out of a hedge, ran straight across the road, straight across me. And it went into another a big hedge. And just before it went in the hedge, it went into, under a street light. So I saw it. 
focused on it as it ran across. And then as it went under the streetlight, I could see its profile, its side profile, much better than the, the first sighting. Again, that was literally a second, second and a half by the time it took to run across the road. Okay. And same type of animal? Yeah. Again, the ear tufts were so defined. A lot smaller than the first one. And it was grey, dappled sort of coat. But I could definitely see the ear tufts again. And I knew it definitely was not a domestic cat in any way, shape or form. It was much, much bigger than a cat. And the way it ran as well, it sort of bounded across the road and didn't run like a domestic cat does. Was it capable of taking down a deer, do you think? I think so. Yeah, I think it would. Yeah. Like I say, it was smaller. But yeah, it was it was a stocky animal. I don't know, the size of a springer spaniel, maybe? Maybe a little bit bigger. But yeah, definitely not as big as the first cat. When it was running along, because the tufts of the ears, I was focusing on the head. And, you know, I could see it was definitely not a, a big tabby cat even or anything. Was it aware of you? Was it trying to avoid you? Or was it just coincidental and hardly noticed you, do you think? I, I don't know, actually, because I was so 20 yards. It must have known I was there. And it just heard me coming down the road and decided to, where it was, it wasn't safe. Maybe I just spooked it and it decided to run into more denser hedge. Other than the tufted ears, what would you say the real standout physical features and characteristics were? I think it's coat. That's why I knew it wasn't a domestic cat, because it's patterns. As it ran across the road, I focused on it, and it went under a streetlight, and I could see it. But presumably it was still using that heathy, woody, woodland environment for its beat. Yeah, it's not far. It's literally those houses back on to some fields, and then it's the common. That road is right next to the common, or or certainly countryside, and uh, some horse fields. And then there's the railway line. For a cat, it could easily jump that fence in on the railway easily. So now you'd had two. Tell us about what you did about this. I know, obviously, you come onto a podcast now. Very good of you. What were you thinking and doing and saying to people as a result of these two sightings? I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> Fair enough. I think the first sighting, I don't think I told anyone. Even up to doing this podcast tonight, I think I've told about four people. Apart from, sorry, last week I went to a walk with friends, some friends. So I told another three or four because I was doing this podcast. And I was in a quandary of actually doing it, as I told, we chatted before, of actually doing this interview because of its behavior. And, you know, if, if some government department or some MP is going to, in the future, use this as an example for a cull or something, another stupid policy by government... <laughs> You contacted me because you basically just wanted to talk it through, and that's fine. A lot of people do that. But I thought, well, this would be a good case for people to hear about and consider on the podcast. And it's not like we want to make it all dramatic and alarmist, and you certainly didn't want to do that. But because of the sensitivity of it, you were very 50-50 about it. So I think that, um, you know, we've got to respect you for that. But it's I think it is good to talk it through because we must be honest about the different types of situations and encounters. It's a rare one. And you presumably knew that it was a rare example of, of a close-up encounter that could be described as a confrontation. Never heard of being so close. I've heard of them running away, but never approached them until you told me. And then I 
I listened to the podcast from 1985, Christmas Eve, the two guys. Oh, yes, on next more. Yeah, yeah. And they left their scarf. Yes. <laughs> that was a black, a black Panther, Black Leopard, perhaps creeping up on them behind. Yeah, that was, that's on episode two from Exmoor area. Yeah. But again, Alex, who fronted that one, he knows that that's rare. But of course, it's now in his mind that it can happen. And it's obviously in your mind that it can happen. And it's not thought that Lynx would be the type of cat that would be potentially threatening. Although, of course, we don't know that it was threatening. We just know that it was close. Yeah, maybe it was curious. Maybe it saw me as a threat because I was close to its den. You know, who knows? I didn't realize even Lynx would be in this part of the country. You know, if someone said Scotland. Yeah, okay, I could understand that. But I wouldn't think that's why I was the shock when I first saw it. I thought, that's a Lynx. <laughs> Mainly it's been the, I think, Black Panthers, actually, isn't it? Yeah, Lynx are widely reported, a much lower proportion, but they're widely reported. And, of course, there's the debate about reintroducing them. I think, for me, the issue is how the person reacts. I think at that distance, if you'd have done something which aggravated it, then it could have gone pear-shaped. Well, that's why I was debating whether to shout or not. Yeah. That was my... I was quickly put going through my head, shall I shout, shall I make a noise? You know, and I was going to shout, but then, I, thankfully, I had my hand on the torch. And I was just thought, shine the torch at it. I think that's a good idea. I don't think they like flashing lights. There's there's research in uh, South America to show that the pumas there get uh, put off by flashing lights. If they're predating livestock, they use flashing lights. And I always say to people who work at stables or situations where they sometimes think there's a cat at night to have a head torch and be ready to put it onto a strobe effect because the cats okay. wouldn't like that. So it definitely reacted to the, to the torch light, did it? It's a bright torch. It is a bright torch. So I'm thankful I had it in my pocket, and I recommend anyone who's going out at dusk to carry one. Now, as we speak, you have not heard the first guest on the show, but of course the listeners will have done. He said he thought that information signs about the potential presence of these large cats were not something he would particularly like to see, because he was worried that they could present a bit of fear to some people. What do you feel about possibly having information signs, even if they were sensitively and cautiously done? Would you be pro that, or do you think there's you know consequences of having signs and it's a bit awkward? What, to say where the, it's in the area? I'm not sure. Or to say there have been sightings, you know, you might oh, right. like to be aware there have been sightings. You know, people can take it or leave it, I suppose, then. But mm. I mean, he was concerned that even if you did that and they were low-key ones, it could still present fear to some people. And there's another view yeah. that they could actually provoke um, vigilantes and trophy hunters and they would be more dangerous than the animal. Exactly, exactly. I think the big cat is England Sasquatch, Bigfoot in this country, you know. Similar behaviour that you you don't see them. I think just leave them be, really. Generally, I, no one sees them, so they obviously keep away. We haven't heard of any sort of further sightings of marauding lynx in, in West Surrey, have we? No. That lynx was a misbehaving one and was taking people's dogs and threatening them at, at the corners of the woodlands or whatever. Yeah. We'd know about it, so maybe that was just a one-off, but it is intriguing still. Yeah, I went to see a friend who's in authority of such round here, and I don't want to mention his job or any give any clue away to his identity because I wouldn't want him to get in trouble over it. But I spoke to him about it, and 
I won't even say what someone does close to him. And because he told me another story and he confirmed, you know, that there are sightings in this country. We went through the animals. We both acknowledged that it was a cat. But he has heard one about a good 10 years ago in this area. But um, there's been no reports of such in this area. Maybe it was migrating anyway. But you can attest to the fact that people are very wary of reporting them. I think we, we only get to hear the minority of sightings. Yeah, because this the stigma, isn't it? It's the old classic phrase when someone sees something paranormal, a ghost or a UFO. You know, it is the classic phrase. I know what I saw twice. <laughs> and that's why I contacted you. And it took me a few months to do that. Because the first one, way home that night, I, I was debating, do I ring the police? But what could they do? You know, they might get a helicopter out, you know, with a thermal imaging camera. But, you know, what good would it do anyway? Yeah, I was in a quandary, but I just thought, I knew my sighting was rare. I, I, you know, you never hear stuff like that. Yes, the behaviour was rare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, how has it emotionally touched you and affected you? Have you had mixed emotions, or are you very positive about them, or and and has it made you more alert in the, in the outdoors? It has made me a little more alert, <laughs> definitely. When I'm sitting in the woods, uh, whether it's on a normal bench or a falling down tree, you know, if I'm taking a rest or just chilling out reading a book. I do occasionally turn around just in case. <laughs> Natural thing to do, I think. I'm not living in fear, that's for sure, because I know that's why the second sighting, I was like, wow. And when it ran into the hedge, I just started laughing to myself when I was walking away. Like the odds of seeing two in the space of just over two years. Of the same species as well. The same species, yeah, and and different cats. I mean, the second one's definitely a different cat, different colour, smaller. When we first had our initial conversation, you said it could be a, a female because uh, it was smaller. Yeah, possibly, yeah, or a younger one. Would you have said that they were both properly wild? One thought about the first one is that if it was bolder than we'd expect, was it used to human contact it was more freshly out and it hadn't gone properly stealthy and feral like they do right. normally. That's something to consider. But but what's your judgment on how wild and properly feral they were? Well, have you heard of any reports of any cats escaping from Chesington? Because it's literally two miles away from here. People aren't going to admit releases or escapes, are they? That's the That's the other thing. Yeah. So the second one definitely seemed wild, I presume, in the way it was moving and evading you. Yeah, because it ran across, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know about the first one. Have you got a personal view about the future and about big cats being here? What's your attitude to big cats possibly naturalising here? Well, they were. Well, Lynx was here naturally anyway. Yeah, yeah. And we hunted them to extinction. So if there's a few that have escaped, I mean, I think it's a good thing. and, and Human beings are too destructive, aren't they, in their environment, as we know, and too many things have gone extinct. So I think it'd be a good thing, and I presume they keep away from us. There's enough habitat around. Surrey is the county with the most trees in the UK. Plenty of space for them. There's the Surrey Hills, North Downs. 
Surrey itself doesn't have many reports. Now, that's either because there aren't many reporting sort of nodes and Facebook groups and people known to report things to in Surrey, or there aren't so many cats there that could be reported and seen. So it's it's intriguing because you'd think there should be more as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, maybe the Surrey lynx is more discreet cat in England. Had you reported your one to the authorities and they felt they'd have to come after it and try and remove it, how would have you felt about that, John? Oh, I, yeah, that wouldn't have been good. And that's that's one of the reasons I didn't. I mean, you know, just in case they would, really. You therefore didn't perceive it as a threat more generally then? No, no, I just thought it was a one-off incident, my incident. I was a little debating if I ring the police, but then I think they could have probably just laughed at me. Very good that you've come on to do this one about a close encounter because it's been a you know, theme episode on a bit close for comfort and we'll no doubt be doing that sort of thing in, in the future. The other time people see them up close and, and get a bit wary and, and edgy about them is when they seem to be eyeing up their dogs, but you don't have a dog so and you can't judge that. Say that cat had taken a dog of yours or a pet of yours, you know, would that change your attitude? Uh, yeah, possibly. You know, if I had that experience, cats do go missing. And obviously dogs get kidnapped and maybe a cat has taken a dog, you know, sometime. But I would have thought a cat, probably predators try not to risk their own safety as well. And what I understand of predators. So if it's too risky, something might fight back. I mean, would a cat even go for a fox even because it might get nipped and an injury? They make those judgments, but I think they certainly do. Go, these cats can get canids the world over, you know, if they feel they've got the upper hand and they they can do it yeah. without getting injured. They certainly do. Feral dogs in Asia and Africa, it's welcome that the cats, you know, clear them up a bit because they can be a problem themselves, the feral dogs. So well, it's very good of you and very good of you to get to the location so we can hear about it now. and. Yeah, I wish I didn't wear shorts. <laughs> More brambly than you considered, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got a few scraps, but hey, all, all in the uh, pursuit of authentication. <laughs> this is the thing, I haven't been here. I think I, I came back about three months later. I think I've only been back here once or twice since it happened two and a half years ago. And because it's, a, it's getting too overgrown anyway. So you haven't uh, experienced it all brambly and thorny. <laughs> No, well, it's the wrong time of year, isn't it? You know, it's gone crazy with the weather. I was up a ladder, up a tree, looking into a place, the, the sort of bowl of a of a willow tree, a big old gnarly willow tree at the weekend, where a puma had uh, allegedly walked down. I could quite see why a puma would have been up there. And right. I got a bramble, a triffid-like bramble. Actually, the thorn stuck into my earlobe. Oh, I thought it was going to rip my earlobe as I moved. Yeah, brambles can be an absolute imposition, yeah. can't they, at times when you yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, anything else you'd like to say, John, before we sign off? Maybe people should tell their incidents and stories and then we could build a better picture, whether they want to do it anonymously or not, of what the actual population is in this country and where they are. There's a good few people doing databases and mapping them now. So it is starting to happen and the Facebook groups are trying to get active on, on that as well. So it's emerging and I think it does take a, a lot 
for people to emerge and, and report it. As you say, there's all these barriers in the way. And, and even Martin, our first guest, I mean, he was wary of being in the hot seat again. He got a lot of scoffing attitude in the press and got branded as a petrified dad. And so, you know, he knows what it's like to have that profile that a witness can get when, you know, the world's looking at you and making judgments. So it's, that makes it so tricky, doesn't it? Yeah, I can understand that totally. But like I said before, I know what I saw. <laughs> so no one in the media will be able, or anyone will be able to take that away from me. I'll go to my grave with those two sightings. And I know what I saw. Very good that you've shared it with us, John. And you know, obviously, we're all learning together. So uh, even sort of an out of character bit of behaviour is important for us to log and to think about. So thank you ever so much. I just hope it doesn't turned into something negative towards them or detrimental to their survival. There's the odd case where, you know, they're a bit edgy and a bit close. I think we've still got to acknowledge it and try and consider it and and think it through and think what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you ever so much, John, for your time and for getting into position for us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. No problem. (laughs) I'll try and get back now. I definitely won't be around here when it's getting dusk and dark. Thanks ever so much, John. Take care. Thanks very much, Rick. Thank you. Okay, and just to mention another conversation with John about his sightings that we had off-air. He was saying that the cat in the second sighting, the smaller lynx-type cat, was not a bobcat in his view. He checked references for bobcats and he feels it was more lynx-like as far as he could tell, including the fact that its ear tufts were so pronounced. He also mentioned that he used to be a sports photographer, and so he's used to quickly watching and focusing in on fast-moving people, objects and animals. Let's hope he has a camera at the ready if it happens again. His two photographs that he took at the location after the interview call are now on our website, on the References and Links page, and you can just imagine a lynx there returning to its layup spot, being occupied by John engrossed in his book there. And the final point to make about the chat with John is that despite his cheeky throwaway comments about the local zoo, in no way were we actually suggesting that anything that he'd seen had come from nearby Chessington Zoo at the Chessington World of Adventure. Righto, on to our word of the week, and it is resilience. And we're using that because of the standout news item on Britain's Big Cats this week in the media. Resilience is the name of a life-size replica Black Panther sculpture which has just been made from driftwood by the sculptor Brendan Rawlings. On the Big Cat Conversations website, we put a link to the news item about the new sculpture when it was displayed on Exmouth Beach in southwest England. The panther's black coloration was burnt into the wood and the replica model even has large lifelike whiskers. Brendan Rawlings got the idea for the panther from a sighting his father had and he stated that he's called it resilience because of the resilience shown by the wild big cats of Britain. So that's a great bit of awareness raising on the subject and all I'd say is that rather ironically many of these wild cats may have to show even more resilience to live on amongst the pressures they face in their own native countries where the conditions and the prey availability may be tougher for them in many situations. Okay, next episode we are with a metal detector in North Wiltshire. We'll hear a bit about metal detecting, 
but he's our guest because three different big cats have shown up amongst the fields and meadows that he and his colleagues have been checking out. So it's big cats amongst the treasure next time. Okay, we're signing off now, so special thanks again to our two guests, Martin and John. And as always, thank you everyone for listening in. Remember, you can email me anytime if you've got any thoughts or suggestions. The address is rick at bigcatconversations.com. Take care and bye for now.